Turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Samuel. And going to be reading just a couple of verses in uh, chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Turn over there, please. And uh, talking this morning about uh, a tale of two kings. And both of those kings are in this text that we're going to take today. 1 Kings chapter 16, beginning at read at verse number 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. That's one of those passages of Scripture that you say, what? An evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. The most troubling spirit from the Lord that I've ever experienced is the spirit of conviction. You're not right with God. You're not living for the Lord. Years ago, I heard Willard Cantillon in a camp meeting in his prayer at the end of his sermon say, Lord, help us to realize that you convict us not to condemn us, but to convert us. I never wrote that down, but it stuck. It's stuck because I, I think it's true, but that the, the most troubling spirit from the Lord that I've ever experienced is that, is that spirit of conviction. Something's wrong in your life. Before beginning this message this morning, let me insert this thought for your consideration. This text that I've read for you this morning in the history of Israel is at the same time one of the most wonderful and glorious passages of hope for the children of Israel, but at the same time it is ignominious, it is debasing, it is scandalous. And I hope that you will keep that in mind as we get into this message this morning. Let me direct your attention again, 1 Samuel, to the 8th chapter. Now, I'm not going to read anything there. I just want you to be aware. And those of you that are taking notes, write down 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 in your notes. In that particular passage of Scripture, we find an ambush. I don't know any other way to put it. There must have been rumblings of discontent in the lay congregation. Down at the grassroots, there must have been rumblings of discontent. And it had worked its way up now where it had kind of saturated the congregation, even to the point that it is in the echelons of the elders 
And we, we don't know whether it was the 70 elders. We're not, we're not sure at this particular time in the, in the structure of Israel, but we don't know whether it was the 70 elders, that group that Moses established out in the wilderness to, to help spread the load of leadership. We don't know if it was those elders or maybe it was the, the princes of the 12 tribes that had come together, but, but they ambushed Samuel. I see it that probably there wasn't even an appointment made. And they came to Samuel and accosted him as he was going about his daily work for the kingdom of God and for the work of God. And they came to Samuel and they, they started out gently at first. And they said to him, we appreciate all the years of service that you have given to Israel. You've been there for us in good times and in bad times. And and we want you to know, Samuel, that, that we love you and we appreciate you, but you're at that stage in life. And the scripture tells us that he was, he was handing off the responsibilities. He was passing these things down. And, and the elder said to him, your sons just don't have the compassion that you had. And they don't exhibit the godliness that you exhibit and we're not going to take this. We don't want your boys being the leaders of Israel. In fact, what we want, what we demand is a king so we can be like everybody else. Here's the temptation and the dilemma of every generation of godly people. We want to be like everybody else. Can I tell you that it is the blight of godliness to us have that attitude in our lives that says, Lord, you know, I want to live for you, but let me look like everybody else looks. Let me dress like everybody else dresses. Now, a pastor like you've lost friends in the past, I'm probably going to lose some friends this morning. But yeah. Let me go through, let me, let me experience all of the entertainment that everybody else experiences. Let, let me taste what everybody else tastes. Let me be like everybody else. Can I tell you that the people of God always get in trouble when they want to be like everybody else? Because God has called us to be peculiar. Now that doesn't mean weird. It just means separated, different. Set apart. We are God's people.
people. We're God's people. But even the apostle Paul dealt with this attitude. You read it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10, where Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and departed unto Thessalonica. There was something about the magnetic, magnetic pull of that cosmopolitan city that was situated on two great crossroads of commerce. And, and, and Demas just couldn't resist it. And he said, give me a king so I can be like everybody else. Let me be like everybody else. So here the elders of Israel demand, give us a king. And God's response to Samuel was, they haven't rejected you, but they've rejected me. And so Samuel's assignment from God was, give them what they want. Psalm says that the Lord gave them what they want, but sent leanness to their souls. Come on. Sent leanness. Now, folks, you can wrestle with this a little bit because I've been wrestling with it for two or three weeks. So we can wrestle together for a while, okay? But it, it, was, at, it was at this point where I want us to consider these things this morning. Let's first of all talk about the first then the foremost, then the fear, and finally the forgiveness, okay? The first, the foremost, the fear, the forgiveness, all right? The, the first, remember this is a tale of two kings, so the first is Saul. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9, and, and there was of, of Benjamin, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul. A choice young man and a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. There was nobody like Saul. Look at, look at his pedigree. Look at, look at the, the family line. I mean, it talks about this man Kish and his, his dad and his granddad and his great-granddad and his great-granddad, great-great-granddad. And he, they, they, they list this pedigree that finally comes down to Saul. And, and what, they're, what the writer is wanting you to see is this, this guy was from a great family. It was a good family. He had, he had, he had good bones in his lineage. And, and it was a long, honorable family tree. And then it says he was choice and he was good. And the Hebrew implies that that in Saul, there wasn't, I mean, he was, he was the kind of leader that everybody else wanted. He was just the kind of guy that, there must have been good looks 
and charismatic personality. That, that, must, that must have been all in, it was, it was all kind of all wrapped up in this package that was named Saul. Besides that, you couldn't lose him in a crowd. It'd be kind of like us all standing on a level plane and Ron Mixer in the middle. There he is, head and shoulders above everybody else. Of course, when it comes to me, everybody's head and shoulders above me. Somebody said the other day, said, I think you're shorter than you used to be. And I said, I am. No, no, I was just teasing. No, I am. I'm three inches shorter than I was when I went to high school. And I was short then. But, but here Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. You couldn't lose him in, his, in a crowd. And, and you look at his character. Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 15, 17, thou wast live, little in thine own sight. Now we know that that was in the beginning. But, but in the beginning, he was humble. There was a humility that was attractive not only to the people, but to God in his character. In the beginning, he was, he was humble. Not only that, he was bold in action. When the men of Jabesh Gilead sent word out to all the tribes of Israel, we're being attacked and they've given us seven days to, to uh, raise help for, for ourselves or, or we're going to become the slaves of these people. And, and when the word came to Saul, he took oxen and he clave them into 12 different pieces and he sent them out to all the tribes and he said, this is what's going to happen to your cattle if you don't come and join me to fight for and with the people of Jabesh Gilead. He was bold in his action. But he had one major problem. He wanted to do things his way in his time. In other words, his problem was disobedience. We find that graphically exhibited in a couple of places. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, you find that he stepped out of the, the civil role into the spiritual role. Samuel said to him, now you wait till I get there and I'll offer a sacrifice on this day. And, and Samuel didn't come exactly when he thought he ought to. And so Saul said, well, I'm the king. I can do what I want to do. I'll issue an executive order. It sounds familiar, Lynn? I'll issue an executive order. I'll do what I want to do. And I'll tell you what, I'll take charge of getting this sacrifice made. One commentator I read said, you, you, we really don't know whether he offered the sacrifice himself or whether he commissioned a subservient priest over here to take care of it, but, but he stepped out of the, the civil role of king into the spiritual role that belonged to Samuel. And when Samuel came, he said, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. 
Again, we see in First Samuel chapter 15 that he was ordered to completely wipe out the Amalekites. Now, God, God had a reason for this. Saul didn't do it like he was supposed to. And even until Esther, we see Israel dealing with the Amalekite that was left because Haman was an Amalekite. And he wanted to completely destroy the Jews. So Saul's disobedience is reflected in, in the, the dilemma of Israel and the Jews for generations because Saul didn't do what God told him to do. But when, when Samuel came down to where Sam, Saul and his, his army was gathered and Samuel was coming into the camp, Saul ran to meet him and he said, I did exactly what the Lord told me to do. And Samuel said, if that's true, what are the cattle that I hear lowing? What are the sheep that I hear bleeding? If you really did all that God told you to do, destroy everybody from the king down and all of the animals, what is this racket that I hear in the, in the animal pens? And so, so Saul said, well, it was the people. Now here's the guy that just, just issued an executive order, but now it's the people. It's the people. Have you ever met somebody that always had the ability of passing the buck? Never wanted to take responsibility. They always wanted to pass the buck. You know, I see that in the Garden of Eden. God said, Adam, what's going on here? And he said, well, it's the woman. And he looked at the woman and he said, what's going on here? And she said, it's the snake. And he looked at the snake and said, what's going on here? And he went, there's nobody else. There's nobody else. But I've known people that it's always somebody else's fault. I told my kids when they were little bitty girls, I said, let me tell you something, a sign a mark of maturity is being willing and able to take responsibility for what you did. It's still true. It's still true. And I know elderly adults that still want to pass the buck, that still won't take responsibility. But, but Saul said, well, I did all God told me to, but the people didn't. And, and Samuel said, but I still hear the cattle and the sheep. And, and, and Saul said, well, the animals are for sacrifice. They're for sacrifice. Later on in that chapter, verse number 22, Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. God would rather you obey him than sacrifice something to him. 
To obey is better than sacrifice. And so suddenly the, the guilt of the situation crushes down on Saul and Samuel turns to leave and Saul in desperation reaches out and grabs him by the coat and tears his coat. And Samuel turned to Saul and said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and, it is, and has given it to someone else who is better than you. Remember, I told you that this passage that we read as a text, there is wonder and glory because David is being anointed to take the, the kingdom, but, but there is ignominy and, and there, is, there is debasement and there is scandal because Saul has lost the touch of God and God said through Samuel, I'll give it to somebody else that's better than you are. We see a similar situation in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17, where the writer of the Hebrews is, is rehearsing the plight of Esau. And, and, it, and he says that for one morsel of meat, Esau sold his birthright. And afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected and he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. That's where Saul is. He's seeking this. Oh, come on, Samuel, reconsider. And Samuel is saying, it's not me, it's God. You've lost it all because you messed with God. You lost the touch of God on your life. You see, godly destiny was within Saul's grasp, but he squandered it on the altar of self-will. So that's the first. Then let's talk about the foremost. Here's David, a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verses, and verse number 14. But thy kingdom shall not continue. Speaking to Saul again. But thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him. Now David, David doesn't know all this yet. But in his spirit, God's doing a work. Let me tell you something, friend. Today, in this house... In your life, in your spirit, God is here today endeavoring to do a work. And David doesn't have any idea that all of these things are transpiring, but in his spirit, God is doing a work. And Samuel said, God has commanded him to be the captain over his people, and because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee, God's commanding David because he, he can't command you. You're, you're going to do your own thing. You're going to do your own thing. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 7, before what we read as a text this morning, Samuel comes down to the house of Jesse, down to the tribe of Benjamin, and everybody, everybody gets upset. What's the prophet, what's the seer doing here? It might not have been good news. And they said to him, do you come in peace? 
You know, it's kind of like that when Pastor called me back to his office several years ago and, and I said to people, I'm, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Pastor, but it, it was a good thing. It's kind of like Samuel when he showed up at the house of Jesse. It was a good thing. Pastor said, I want to offer you a job. And I said, Pastor, I didn't come here looking for a job. He said, I know, I didn't want keys. I have all the keys. I have more keys than I want, but they gave me keys. Some of you probably wish they hadn't, but they gave me keys. And the Benjamites and, and Jesse said, is everything okay? And Samuel said, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I came to offer a sacrifice, but I need to see Jesse's boys. Now, the sons of Jesse was quite an entourage. You know, they went. And, and one after one, they came in. And, and the first one, Samuel said, this has got to be the guy. And, and did this several more times. This has got to be the guy. And God said to him, wait a minute, Samuel. Don't look on the outside. Because the Lord looketh not at the outward side. But he said, God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And he said, there, there's one of them here that their heart is right. And so all of them passed by. And, and God said, no, 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 no. And Samuel turned to Jesse and he said, is that the last one? Well, no. The kid is out in the pasture, tending the sheep, but Samuel, he stinks. He's been around those sheep and he stinks. Samuel said, send for him. We'll not sit down until he gets there. So send for him. So they sent for David. He anointed David like we read to you early on. You see, there was one king before David, and there were many kings after David, but Israel never had another king equal to David. You see, Saul was the first, but David is the foremost. There was, there's never been a king again, ever, ever before, ever after. Was there ever a king like David? You see, David was the sweet singer of Israel. You know, we imagine him out in the pasture tending the sheep, strumming on his guitar. And making up all these beautiful songs in worship to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He was the sweet singer of Israel. He was the shepherd who became a king. I thought as I was working on these notes of that old song that said, some may see a shepherd boy, but God may see a king. God saw what was going on there. See, God had commanded him. This has been going on in his heart. God had commanded him. David was the renegade who led a ragtag bunch of cast outs with such excellence that they became the greatest army of their day. Under him, Israel doubled or more in size. Under him, God's people were blessed. And under him, above all, the king led by example in serving God.
But David was flawed. Like all other men, If I ask the question this morning, are you flawed? Everybody here ought to do. Yep, that's me. David was flawed. This is glaringly revealed in his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah the Hittite in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And, And we're introduced in this 12th chapter of 2 Samuel to a to a prophet by the name of Nathan. Let me tell you something. Here's a brave guy. And he came to David and he said, I've got a parable to tell you. And, and, and as I was studying this, I thought this is kind of like one of those movies that you watch on television that says this is based on a true story. Nathan, Nathan said, I've got a parable and it's based on a true story. And he said, there was a man that had all kinds of flocks. But there was another man that just had one little ewe lamb. But the guy with a bunch of flocks had, a, had somebody come in company, and instead of taking one of his, he went down and got this little ewe lamb. And he served it. And David became angry. And he said, Let me tell you something. He'll pay it back and he'll pay with his life. And here's where you see the boldness of Nathan. Can't you see him just raise his finger like this and said, David, you're the man. You're the man. And God through Nathan told David, You sinned in secret, but my judgment is going to be seen openly. Everybody's going to see what I do to you. And David, with a broken heart, under this spirit of conviction, remember, not to condemn, but to convert. Under this spirit of conviction, he said, I have sinned. I have sinned. So the first, foremost, let's talk about the fear. You see, David had seen in the life of Saul what can happen if you sin against the Lord. He had seen what happened. That if you sin, if you play around with your experience with God and you sin, that you can lose the touch of God from your life. Psalm 51 reveals his brokenness as this weight of sin comes crashing down on him. Psalm 51, and I've excerpted from here, it said, David says, have mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against thee have I sinned, purge me, wash me, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. And and then he he just goes on and on. And, And then he says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. 
And he says, God, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, thou wilt not despise. Lord, if I come to you really in repentance, you will not turn me away. You will not turn me away. You see, the greatest agony is revealed when David laments, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Let me tell you something, folks. If we dabble in sin, if we become like everybody around us, we can lose the touch of God from off of our hearts and our lives. We can lose it. We can lose it. Hear the agony in David's voice. Oh God, I cannot lose your touch on my life. He had seen the Spirit of God removed from his predecessor and he knew the same thing could happen to him if he did not deal with his sin. If there's sin in your life this morning, deal with it. I'm not saying get it out here and tell everybody else what you've done, that kind of thing, but between you and God, deal with it. Get it under the blood. Get it forgiven. Get it taken care of. So you see the fear. David was afraid he could lose the touch of God on his life. And then there is the forgiveness. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath not put, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, and thou shalt not die. Here it is again. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. If you bring your sin to the Lord in genuine repentance, he will have mercy. He will blot out your transgressions. He will wash you and make you clean. He will create a clean heart and a right spirit within you. He will do those things. He will restore your joy. If you bring these things to the Lord, he will do this. So here, here are the core truths of this message. I'm not even to the takeaways yet, but let me give you this. Here are the core truths of this message. First of all, this message is for everybody. I mean from the pastoral staff all the way down. This message is for everybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care who I am. There's a time in every one of our lives when we've got to deal with some things. When we've got to deal with what's going on in our lives, with what's going on in our marriages, without what's going on in our jobs. We've got to deal with these things. Deal with these things. You see, also, if you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, this is for you too. It, it not only works for believers, it works for unbelievers. It works for anybody who comes to the Lord and says, I've sinned. I've failed. I need forgiveness. It'll work for you. 
Another thing that I want you to see as a core truth of this is that even a man like David, even a man after God's own heart can become cold and complacent. Even a man after God's own heart can drift into sin. Did you notice that I didn't say run into sin? If you're after God's own heart, it doesn't, you don't just run for sin. It just, you just drift. You just drift. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. I never had much to do with sheep, but my wife and her family raised sheep. And I'm told that a sheep will nibble a little grass here and then it'll move a little farther and nibble a little grass there and move a little further. And finally, the sheep turns around. The rest of the flock's way back here because they have drifted. They just drifted. They just grazed their way away. You see, even a man like David, even a man after God's own heart, can desperately need to repent. Let's pause right here and let me ask the prayer team if you'd come. Come join us up here at the front, those of you that are on a prayer team. Let me give you some takeaways. The first one is you can have the touch of God on your life and lose it. Everybody do like this. Come on. You can have the touch of God on your life and lose it if you just drift away from sin or by to sin. Just drift away from God to sin. Second thing is such a danger confronts every person who loosely and carelessly handles his or her relationship with God. It's a danger. I don't know about you, but periodically I need to come back to the fountain. Periodically, I need to come back, Henry. I need to get under that fountain again. I said, God, renew me. Renew me. The last thing is, God will never turn away the genuinely repentant soul. Never, never. You come to God with an open and a contrite heart. You come with true repentance. God's there. God will never turn. He always has open arms. Open arms for those that are genuinely repentant.